Hello and welcome to the Coach's Corner presented by Protein International. Today is Wednesday, April 23rd. I am your host, Alex Ramirez. Riding shotgun with me today is a local high-performance coach here in, in Arizona, uh, Ryan Sawyer. Ryan, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Alex. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We want to remind everybody that you can call the show at area code 347-637-1197. You can also reach us on Twitter at Pro10 Radio. And on the front page of our website, Pro10Radio.com, uh, there's a Facebook comment section. You can type your question or comment there, and we'll be able to read it on the air. Uh, you can also take a look at uh, the upcoming shows and all the future podcasts, I mean, all the podcasts that we have from before. Uh, we have a great show for you today. You know, Ryan, uh, there's a lot of catchphrases uh, these days in tennis. We have player development, high performance, and we have the 10 and under short court and green dot tournaments getting off the ground. But with all of this new stuff coming up, the game is evolving, and I believe all the coaches need to keep up with all of this, especially those coaches that are uh, developing these up-and-coming players. And our guest today is in the forefront of this evolution. Uh, Dr. Kovacs currently oversees the sports science strength and conditioning uh, education uh, for the USTA. He is an All-American and NCAA doubles champion at Auburn University. After a pro career, he pursued his graduate work at Auburn University and earned his Ph.D. in exercise physiology from the University of Alabama. He has published five books, including Dynamic Stretching and Tennis Training, Enhancing On-Court Performance. He is the Executive Director of the International Tennis Performance Association. Dr. Kovacs, welcome to the show. Alex, thanks so much for having me. Ryan, how are you? I'm doing well, Mark. Thanks for joining us. Wonderful. Yeah, Excited absolutely. To be here. Thanks for being on the show. And uh, so, Mark, I kind of want to get started learning a little bit uh, more about your tennis background. You played college tennis and pursued a professional career, and then back to college to pursue your degree that set you on the path that you are today. Uh, can you tell us more about uh, Mark before he became Dr. Kovacs? Sure. Yeah, no, I think I was like a lot of... Uh, junior players. I had a professional career in mind from a young age. Uh, so I went the high performance route from 10 years old. I uh, was top junior in Australia all the way through. So there was three or four of us uh, around the same age going through beating each other week in, week out at these national tournaments, played internationally, played a lot of the ITF junior circuit, played uh, some junior slams. Uh, and, you know, my only goal in life was to be a professional tennis player. So when I was 16, unfortunately, I got uh, mono uh, rather badly and uh, required me to take nearly six months off from, from playing. So that kind of changed my timeline a little bit, and that's what sort of brought me to the U.S. college system, and I was fortunate enough to have a few uh, former players that I knew from my hometown that went to Auburn University, and that's how I ended up in the SEC, you know, one of the best tennis conferences, and it was a great experience for me. Spent four years there, was uh, fortunate enough to win an NCAA title in doubles, uh, had some shoulder problems uh, all throughout my college career, actually, was struggling with some different shoulder ailments, and uh, then I played professionally for a while and ended up having to have shoulder surgery and that sort of put an end to sort of that professional dream. Uh, but that shoulder problem really got me interested in the human body and, and sports science and how can we do a better job of training to try to prevent these injuries in players. And that's what really brought me back to uh, school and going through the graduate studies uh, to finally do my PhD. So it was an interesting evolution. I had no sort of academic interest growing up in high school. Even early in my college career, it was all you know focused on being a professional tennis player. But uh, when things happen, you sort of have to adjust, and that was my adjustment. It was how can I stay involved in, in sport? Uh, how can I help athletes improve their performance and reduce injuries? And that's what sort of brought me to this point where everything I do revolves around research, education and training of athletes, coaches, administrators to try to help their younger tennis players as well as older tennis players. I'm doing a lot now with seniors and the health benefits of tennis and some other things related to the benefits that tennis brings to athletes at every level. That is great. 
so, Mark, as far as the ITPA goes, uh, you've, you've, you and uh, Todd Ellenbecker and uh, a couple other uh, uh, people have started the ITPA. What is your vision for the ITPA, and, and how does it differ from other organizations? Sure. Yeah, the ITPA stands for the International Tennis Performance Association, and this is a trade association that was formed uh, less than two and a half years ago now, and it was a group of physical therapists, medical doctors, athletic trainers, strength coaches, uh, you know, some tennis coaches. We were talking about how to, can we do a better job of educating and, and developing standards in the tennis industry for coaches, it's one large segment that we help to educate and to work with, but also the physical trainers, the strength coaches, the athletic trainers, the physical therapists, the medical doctors, the chiropractors, the massage therapists, the different groups that work with tennis athletes because they're all very skilled. They all have gone through a certain amount of education, whether it's multiple degrees or certifications in their specific fields, but very few of them really understand tennis then there isn't really an avenue for them to get that high-quality, evidence-based research information. And that was really the emphasis behind starting the International Tennis Performance Association. And uh, we're fortunate to have a great group that's been involved in all the curriculum development. Uh, we have a certification commission that's uh, been heavily involved in putting together the materials. And there are three levels of certification. Uh, the level one certification is called the Tennis Performance Trainer Certification. And that's really aimed at the tennis coach predominantly. It's the person that may not have a strong science background, they may not have a degree in exercise science, sports science, medicine, but they know tennis pretty well and they're, they're tennis coaches, but they want to understand the physical aspects. So the level one certification has 14 different competencies. So it focuses on strength training, movement training, nutrition, periodization and planning, testing, how to work with young athletes and things to worry about from a growth and development standpoint, how to deal with seniors. So that's that level one program, and that's really uh, aimed at the tennis coach, which is, is doing very well. The level two program is called... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, to say it's quite a workbook. I've I've seen it. I'm I'm going through it right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. And the information is is really you know it's highly referenced. It's evidence based. It's not prescriptive in the way it's designed. It's taken on the format of many of these other uh, certifications that are around in other fields, from the National Strength and Conditioning Association, the Na National Athletic Trainers Association, and it, it's built around uh, making sure people have a competency so when they do pass and not everyone passes that's one of the things that is very important to understand there is a, a, a significant fail rate on all these levels and that's important to have a legitimate you know a competent certification program and so you mentioned there's there's three levels right there's level one which is for the tennis coaches uh, what Correct. are the other two then, levels and then level two is called the Certified Tennis Performance Specialist, CTPS. And that really has a couple ways you can get to that level two. You can go through level one if you're a tennis coach, pass level one, and then that gives you the, the base information to be able to go into level two. Or if you've got the prerequisites, which are a exercise science, sports science, medical, physical therapy, athletic training degree, then you automatically have the ability to go into level two. And the reason for that is the uh, information that's provided in level two is at a higher scientific knowledge standpoint. Uh, there, there's a, a lot more information. There's over 650 pages, 20 competencies, and it's really aimed at someone that has a, a good base knowledge of uh, anatomy, physiology, biomechanics, uh, and how we can apply all that. This is very much an applied certification program, but it is based in science. So it talks about sample programs, how to work with different ages, how to develop you know, 12-week programs, 52-week programs with players at different levels. And there are two sort of major levels that uh, people go through. The Level 3 program, which is the Master Tennis Performance Specialist, is very uh, unique and very limited. We only offer that once per year, and it requires a number of prerequisites. So you have to have passed the CTPS program. You have to have worked a 1,000 hours or more with high-performance level players. 
uh, you have to have other prerequisites that are needed to be accepted into the program. And we have a very small number of people that actually are accepted into that program and it's offered once per year and there's a, there's a lot of requirements in that. But that one is really designed for those top player, top individuals that work at the highest levels of the game. So we have the head strength coach for the USTA has gone through it. Uh, Davis Cup and Fed Cup uh, physical therapists have gone through it. You know, ma major federations have their into some of their individuals going through it. So it's it's sort of that highest level. And you know, if people have gone through this, they really have a outstanding knowledge base in the area. Right. I mean, it sounds pretty um, amazing what you're doing. And kind of going back to your your, your college decision, you know, to get this degree, um, did you envision ITPA, did you go into it thinking, I want to make a difference and, and build this, this organization, or was it just something that you wanted to do to just help people and it kind of grew into what it is today? Yeah, no, there was no intention of ever developing an organization at all. It was something that was a passion project. Uh, the real purpose is to help the membership. We have members in 18 countries. Uh, we've placed a lot of uh, certified members in in great jobs. Some at sort of at private clubs, some at academies, some at country clubs. A number of them are working uh, on the ATP and WTA tour with individual players. Uh, we've linked up a number of uh, members when they travel to work with other professionals. If tennis coaches are looking for individuals in their areas who have these qualifications, uh, that's really what the association is for, is to help educate, is to help increase the quality of standards in the industry and to really provide you know, clear uh, delineation between quality and for individuals that may be lacking in quality. And it's something that in the tennis industry in general, across all the different disciplines in tennis, there's sometimes challenges to know who are appropriate to work with different groups and which are the which are the best in, in the areas. And hopefully over time this will continue to grow and it will continue to give institutions, whether it's private academies, clubs, federations, an understanding of quality, knowledgeable people that have the ability to apply it with their athletes Wow, awesome. Uh, we have a caller on the line. Let me go ahead and put them on. Looks like they're calling from Scottsdale, so we have a local caller. Uh, oh, you're I, on the air. You have a question for Mark? Uh, yeah, yes, thank you for calling, uh, taking my call. I'm a big fan, big fan of Dr. Kovacs. Uh, my, my question is uh, what, what, what Dr. Kovacs would say about uh, uh, isometric uh, types of exercises uh, for tennis players and performance enhancement, given the uh, transient intermuscular uh, ischemia that can occur with an isometric contraction longer than six seconds. I'm wondering if he has any views on that based on the current literature. Sure. No, it's a great question. Very, very, very deep question as well. Well, in general, isometric contractions can provide some benefits, no doubt. The challenge for a sport like tennis is there isn't really a lot that we do on the tennis court that's isometric. And for individuals that may not be aware when we're talking isometric, we're talking a contraction without really movement. So you would think about when you push your hands together as hard as you can, there is a contraction that occurs there, but there's no movement. And in general, with tennis players, we need movement. So we need to be able to uh, move on the court, generate force, so going through ranges of motion similar to tennis is a little bit more preferable. Uh, so that that would be the, the simple response to that great question. Thank you very awesome. much. <laughs> and uh, Mark, by any chance, do you uh, do you recognize the caller's voice? I do, I do. He's a very, 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 very knowledgeable hey, Mark, great job the How was how was the answer? <laughs> It was awesome. I'm sitting here, and I got a, uh, one of our interns in the office. I said, this guy is answering the question exactly how I thought he would. It's a tremendous response with the, uh, the fact that it's not really that functional, but certainly it's a, a type of contraction we use. But, yeah, fantastic. Thanks for doing the call. Yeah, no problem. I'm not sure if everyone realizes this is uh, Todd Allenbecker, probably Todd one Allenbecker. of the, the – the most renowned physical therapist in tennis and you know, the director of sports medicine for the ATP and also the chair of the ITPA Certification Commission. So it's great to have Todd on the call. Thank you, Todd, for taking the time and calling in. Alex, no worries. I'm looking forward to listening to the rest of the conversation. Got to get back with some patience. But uh, thanks for taking the call, Mark. You guys have a great rest of the day. 
Thanks, Todd. Keep them healthy. Bye, Mark. So there you go. A little surprise caller for you, Mark. Yeah, no, Todd's phenomenal. If people, you know, have any, especially upper extremity issues, he's probably the best in the world to to deal with anything upper body related. I mean, he's worked with dozens of top pros and brought them back from shoulder surgery and helped prevent, you know, hundreds of other players from having to have shoulder surgery. So he's definitely, I'm very fortunate to call him a friend and someone that's been a big mentor to me over the last decade as well. Yes, yes, I've known him for about 20 years, and he's just been amazing with every athlete I bring to him, and he's helped out so many people, and uh, definitely knows his stuff when he when he found out you were going to be on the show. He said, hey, you want to call in and ask a question that not anybody normal would ask? And he said, absolutely. So it's good to have him on. So uh, just real quick, back on track, uh, the ITPS on the website has uh, an inner circle. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that is and, and how it works? Sure. So uh, the ITPA Inner Circle is the member-only website, so it's um, restricted access to all the ITPA members. And really what happens there is we have a lot of information that isn't open to the public. Uh, It's position stands on all sorts of things from a scientific standpoint. What do the major organizations recommend for strength training for young athletes or you know, what should hydration guidelines be from some of the medical associations? So it's, it's, it's at a little bit more scientific level than what is on our normal ITPA consumer blog, which is open to the public. So we have information that's posted there on uh, nearly a daily basis. It's video clips, it's written articles, it's uh, case study examples, and it really goes into a lot more depth and it really aims at that person that is continually looking for tennis-specific information. And it's it's a great resource. Again, it's it's included in any of the ITPA membership levels uh, and it's just something that continues to grow on a daily basis. We have great experts that contribute content, lots of interviews with some of the top leaders in the field from all over the world. And it's just really something that uh, over the last couple of years has really grown into a valuable resource for for the membership. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, we're coming up against a break here. So, Mark, if you can hang on for one quick second. We'll be right back with Mark Kovac after after this uh, short message. Get the most out of your game with the best selection of Nike gear from TennisExpress.com. Play to win in the Roger Federer Premier RF Polo and Twill Short with matching Zoom Vapor 9 Tour shoes. Check out the Maria Sharapova Premier Maria Tank and Skirt and high-performance Nike Zoom Vapor 9 Tour shoes. Sizzle on every serve like Victoria Azarenka in the dry-fit woven tank and the woven pleated skirt with Zoom Vapor 9 Tour shoes. Shop all new Nike gear for fall at TennisExpress.com. To celebrate the not normal Mini Cooper, we hired an expert to tell you about Mini telepathically. Greetings. Relax and listen to my mind. The Mini Cooper hardtop comes with 37 MPG and co-cart handling. Wait, that's not telepathy. Listen again. The bigger four-door Mini Countryman has seating for five. Okay, you're just whispering. You're still paying me for this. Come see the 37 MPG Mini Cooper hardtop and the bigger Mini Countryman today. Visit MiniUSA.com slash info for MPG details. Now, see, when people think of GEICO, right, they think of car insurance and, of course, saving money. But sometimes that can lead even the savviest driver astray. Take, for example, the motorcycle owner. He calls GEICO wanting to save money on his car insurance only to realise that he doesn't actually own a car. Well, needless to say, he's quite embarrassed, isn't he? Doesn't matter. GEICO insures motorcycles and ATVs as well. That way, no one ends up looking foolish. GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. The Den Academy is a family affair. You know, my dad, my wife, my brother, myself, we're all a part of it. We all grew up in tennis. We all are passionate about tennis. Being on the court with your son is good. We both have a good time with it. We both say things differently but mean the same thing. Let's see the grip. Don't change it. Oh, I saw it. I saw it. What makes a great coach is many things, but it ultimately comes down to seeing the game correctly and then being able to communicate that to the player efficiently, right? So just nice and whippy behind that ball. When you finally get through to a player and you get them on the same page as you are, it's, it's a pretty cool feeling. Oh, oh, nice. Giddiness. You get giddy. You know, you get excited. It's, it's, it's just competition. This is emotion. It's, it's intensity out there. I mean, you know, that's what passion is all about, right? 
Hi, this is Taylor Dent, and you are listening to the Pro 10 Radio Network. All right, welcome back. You're listening to the Coach's Corner on the Pro 10 Radio Network. On uh, the radio, on the show today, we have uh, Dr. Mark Kobach, and alongside with me is Ryan Sawyer. And we're back talking about fitness and tennis and all this good stuff. And um, Ryan, why don't you take us off with the next question for Dr. Kobach? All right, happy to. Mark, you've spoken in the past about age and stage appropriate training. Can you elaborate on what that is? Sure. I think one of the biggest challenges for a lot of people that are working uh, predominantly with junior players is uh, how do they work with the different ages and stages of development. So to simply put, if we want to break it into three broad groups, we have our pre-puberty group, we have our pubertal group, and then the post-puberty group. And in general, if we're looking at a, a chronological age, usually we talk pre-puberty below about 12 or so. Uh, and then with Puberty, we're talking about ages you know, 11 and 12 on the female and a little bit older on the male, all the way up to 16 or so. And then post-puberty is everything basically above 16. And it's pretty important to understand that those ages are guides. They're not exact because chronological age in itself is not a very good predictor. What we want to understand is the biological age and also the training age because when an athlete starts playing, contributes heavily to their development. Uh, if you start an athlete at four years old playing tennis and playing relatively large number of hours per week, they have a very different training age at 12 or 13 than someone who just picked up the racket at 11 years old. And we have to understand how that contributes to their development. One of the big challenges is with volume at different ages and stages. Most people have this misconception that a young kid shouldn't do very much volume, like a seven, eight, nine-year-old. Uh, that, from a physical standpoint, actually is not always correct. A young kid can handle quite high volumes. Their aerobic capacity, their ability to run and recover is great. I mean, just look at them. They run all day. It's not a big problem for them. Uh, injuries at that young age is very unlikely uh, from impact, from hitting tennis balls, just because there's very li little force being produced. Where we see majority of the problems is during that pu those puberty years. And that's usually when volume starts to ramp up. Coaches, trainers, people start pushing the athletes more at 12, 13, 14, 15. Uh, and that, that's actually one of the riskier times to really increase volume because that's when they're growing the most. That's when their body's changing considerably. And also their awareness, their coordination, their kinesthetic awareness, their ability to know where their body is in space is limited because they're growing so much and it's challenging for them. So that's one of the big warnings when we're talking age and stage of development, understanding when to increase volume, when to pull back a little bit. And that's, I think, one of the, the biggest challenges, especially for tennis coaches that may not have a good understanding or background in this. They do a great job of teaching strokes and strategy, but they may not always understand or apply effectively how to progress. And progressive overload is something that needs to be understood. When do we want to increase our workload? And also, when do we want to decrease our workload? And it's a constant uh, cycle. And that's really where planning and periodization comes in. And I know I said a lot there about age and stage, but it's a pretty complicated issue to understand uh, in a few sound bites. But it is something that I think any coach, any trainer that works with young athletes really needs to become highly proficient in and really make sure that they understand what happens at these different ages and stages. Absolutely. And Mark, with that said, do you think that uh, the, the level one certification for a coach like myself, that, you know, I'm not a fitness expert, but I go to people like Todd and, and physical trainers that can do that, uh, a certification level one would give me that kind of insight so that I can do my job better and then look for assistance when it gets to a little bit tougher level? 
Most definitely. And, and that's really, there's a whole module and a whole competency level focused on the young athlete and it goes through their growth and development stages, how do girls and boys differ at different stages, uh, when should you increase and decrease volume, what to look out for, and also how to monitor the athletes from a weekly basis so you know when are they growing more. Because one of the biggest things isn't actually how much they grow, it's how quickly they grow. And we need to monitor that. If you're not taking, you know, usually at, at the level that I'm working at and some of the players that I work with, I like to monitor the level of growth each week. So how much are they growing? But in general, if you're at a large academy and you have a lot of kids, that may not be that easy to do. But you should be at least monitoring growth at least once per month and then seeing how quickly an athlete grows. And when they're going through their major growth spurt, or growth spurts, because most athletes do actually go through two peaks, so they're going through two different growth spurts. We need to know that, and during those periods, we really want to reduce volume. One of the biggest areas that we talk about is if you want to arbitrarily reduce volume, if you're not sure, one good thing to think about is about 30% reduction in volume as they're going through that major growth spurt. Okay. Very good. Mark, uh I have a question about um, uh, junior as far as far as juniors go, uh, and with kids that are pre-puberty, is there any exercises that we should avoid? That's a great question. Uh, one of the big things with exercises in themselves is there really isn't a good exercise or a bad exercise. It's about how is the exercise applied? What's the volume? What's the resistance or the intensity? Uh, how you know how many reps and sets? And is it appropriate for that athlete based on the athlete's strengths and weaknesses? And that's really the way you need to approach anything you do. It's the same thing with how to hit tennis strokes. Certain strokes may not be appropriate for certain individuals based on their makeup. So I never like to say an exercise is good or bad, uh, but there are some exercises that are more risky, let's put it that way, if they're not performed correctly and for tennis players. For example, doing a lot of push-ups for a young athlete is not a great use of their time for a number of reasons. One is, you know, developing chest strength at a base level is important just for overall being an athlete. But for tennis, the pushing or the pressing aspect is very minimal in tennis. But the risk on shoulder development, if if things like push-ups aren't done correctly, can can cause problems over time. So that's one of those ones where you see a lot of people doing them on the courts especially just because it's easy, uh, but you have to be a little cautious of overdoing it. So that would be one where I would say be careful about do, doing too many push-ups. Other things w would be overhead pressing, so doing a lot of uh, overhead lifting. Uh, so if you think about a shoulder press or something like that, just be a little cautious about that as well. That does put the shoulder in a little bit more of a riskier situation, and we know that shoulder injuries is one of the top three injuries that tennis players get. So we want to be a bit cautious about doing too much of that at a young age. Uh, thirdly, be a little careful about uh, doing a lot of high-volume, um, high-intensity plyometric movements. So plyometrics... I think most people are aware of their sort of jumping movements. So if you think about alley hops or, or things like that, that's a plyometric type movement, trying to explode from one leg to the other, or you can do it two legs as well, uh, and then repeat that. And that's great for developing uh, lower body explosiveness. You can do upper body plyometrics as well. But the thing you have to be a bit careful about is the purpose is to develop power. And if you do a lot of repetitions of that, you're not developing power. What you're developing is, is muscular endurance, but it is high impact, and we have to be a little careful about how many of those we do. So we want to make sure we do plyometric work, but we want to do it effectively, and it's really important to understand how to progress it so that we don't injure the athletes because as the athletes go through puberty, one of the biggest complaints you see is knee pain. And knee pain is due to the, a lot of excess pounding, a lot of excess jumping and landing. Some of that's required to play tennis, but you've got to be careful about doing excessive amounts of that in some of your off-court training as well. So there's quite a few other things that 
could be of concern if it's not done appropriately. And I think the biggest caveat is make sure that you know you have athletes work with qualified, competent people that understand technique and know what increases risk and what decreases risk, especially in group settings. It's very easy to control a group if you are qualified and competent and know how to you know observe well and coach well. Unfortunately, a lot of times, if you let the kids kind of do what they want to do, sometimes they do a movement that may not be as technically proficient as it should be, and it may put them at greater risk. So that would be sort of some of the major things to focus on. Great answer, great answer. And with that, you know, one of the questions I had with the working with players, I get a lot of uh, questions about stretching. Some players come to me and they've never really done dynamic stretching. They've only done static stretching. And we start our, our our practice with dynamic stretching and finish it with static stretching. Can you talk a little bit about uh, the importance of both and the differences? Sure. Yeah, no, I think um, dynamic stretching is something that uh, I've spent a lot of time on, researching, writing about. I've written a book on dynamic stretching. And it's really the, the art of stretching through movement and with some uh, force being applied. And if we think about it, that's what we need in tennis. We need to be able to go through pretty large ranges of motion, but also producing and applying force. So that's why dynamic stretching is such a useful tool at the beginning of of workouts, before tennis practice, before physical training. And the research supports that. There are hundreds of studies now that have backed this concept up that that type of stretching beforehand improves strength, speed, power. And that's what we want in tennis. We want to improve strength, speed, and power with an activity that we do immediately before. Whereas the traditional sort of old school way of stretching was that touch your toes and hold for 30 seconds. And that is that static stretching. And that's not a bad way of stretching to increase range of motion in the muscle. The problem with it is if you do physical training within about an hour after that type of stretching, you actually see a decrease in performance. So you see a decrease in your speed, you see a decrease in your power, and you see a decrease in your strength. So that's not something that I think any of us would want to do. But if you're still doing a lot of static stretching before tennis practice or before physical training, that's actually what you're doing. You're making your athletes a little bit worse going into that physical training activity. So highly recommend dynamic stretching beforehand and dynamic flexibility exercises. And then static stretching can still be done, but it can be done after the tennis practice or it can be done at night uh, at a time that you're not planning on doing any physical activity after it. Okay. Yeah, we've been doing it for a long time. Todd, has, Todd Ellenbecker has taught me and my staff a lot of the stretches, and so we do them, and we get questions from parents that haven't been training that way while we do certain things. So it's a good, uh, good thing to have. Yeah, and if people want some more information on that, definitely go to the ITPA website, uh, which is just www.itpa-tennis.org, and look at the blog post. There's quite a few there on dynamic uh, stretching, and then there's some other good resources on there as well. Very good. We'll list that on there. All right, Mark. Um, I'm going to change gears a little bit to 10 and under tennis. Um, I think uh, in the United States, we're at a pretty early stage of implementing it, and we're seeing a lot of pushback. I mean, at least I do uh, on, a per- on, a, on a personal basis with some of the coaches. You see people kind of stick to their guns. And I was wondering, because you get to travel so much to other countries, do you see the same sort of pushback in other, in other places? Yeah, no, I mean, I think there's, uh, you know, like you said, there's, there's sort of these early responders that have bought in uh, – quite well to the chain, the modified equipment, uh, the the different court sizes, the different rackets and balls. Uh, and then there are others that, that haven't, that, that have had either success in the way they've been teaching and they feel like, why should they change? Uh, and that's the same nearly in every country in the world. You have um, a certain groups that have done it a certain way for many, many years and feel that their way is successful. Uh, then there are other groups that kind of see the benefits in in change and in progress. And I think we have to understand the purpose behind it. The purpose behind the modified equipment is participation and is getting more players to stick with the game and also to get introduced to the game. Because I think 
everyone should know. If they don't, they should understand that tennis is losing participation. Some of the numbers are looking a little bit positive, like the total number of players playing tennis. But that's at the older age groups, at 45, 55, 65 years old. Young kids aren't playing tennis as much as they used to. And that's because of all the other options they have available. So we need to understand that the modified equipment isn't necessarily designed for the top 1%, even though it does improve stroke technique, it improves movement technique at a young age, it, it helps them with strategy because they can construct points better. But the main purpose behind it is to get more kids playing, make it easier for them, get them enjoying it from day one. Whereas we all know how hard tennis is to learn the traditional way. It takes months, if not years, to just be able to rally effectively and serve effectively. So if we can get those kids excited by the sport, get them playing, and over time progress them, and different athletes are going to progress at different stages. Some may take full three or four years to go through red, orange, green. Other athletes, it may only take them a year, a year and a half to get through everything. So it's not something I think that people say it's all or nothing. It needs to be understood the purpose behind it, how it's going to help grow the sport. And the top 1%, those, those players that sort of you know, think they're going to be pros, which we all know how difficult that is, but the parents think they are, the players think they are, they're going to be good anyway. Uh, and the question about does it hold them back, that's one of the things people say, well, my 8-year-old should be playing on a full court and we're holding him back. You're not holding an eight-year-old back. What you're doing is you're developing skill sets at that age that they wouldn't have got if they were playing on a full court. So they may be a little better the moment they step on the full court if they had played for a year or two more, but they hadn't had these other skills. They wouldn't have developed the movement patterns. They wouldn't have developed the shots selection. The things that you can develop on the modified formats allow those top players to also do better and I'll tell you, I've been around to some of the top programs in this country and in other countries, and the ones that have implemented the progressions, there are some phenomenal 9 and 10, 11 and 12-year-olds now that have gone through the full red, orange, green, and they they don't have grip issues, they don't have swing path issues, their movements are really phenomenal, but they've done it the right way with good coaching, educated individuals that care and that have progressed them appropriately. And I think the big thing with this as well, we have to understand that it's not always one direction. It's not just progress, uh, level to level to level. It's a progression and then it's a regression. So they move up, but they may spend time going back and forth between green and orange or, you know, between a... You know, if we're going through a 60-foot and a 78-foot court, you may go back and forth for a few months. So I think a lot of people think it's an all-or-nothing approach, and I think they have to change the mindset a little bit about how how that's utilized. So all in all, I'm, I'm a big supporter of it. Uh, I understand the individuals that have some reservations because it is change and it requires them to think a little bit differently. But just look at every other sport. Uh, they've all got modified equipment to bring more players into the game and to help it be more fun and enjoyable at a young age. Uh, I don't know if you guys heard, but this week um, the Golf Association just set up a task force and they're looking at, at tennis as a model of how to get more young kids into the sport. They're proposing putting in 15-inch holes so that the holes will be considerably bigger for the young kids so they can have more success at a younger age. You know, I, I could use that 15-inch hole as well. I yeah, ex exactly. <laughs> I might be using that. We're coming up on a break, but I want to ask you one last uh, quick question before the break. Uh, and it's a good segue, but so in, in the ITPA, do you guys address uh, junior tennis in your curriculum, or is it just part of a whole, the, the entire development of a player? No, most definitely. There's a whole section on the young athlete and, and tournament scheduling uh, and the progressions. So how do you set up uh, training in a, in a tournament season? So we use you know, a, a, a traditional uh, tournament season that would fit nicely in the USTA format. Uh, we have different variations for 12-year-olds, 14-year-olds, 16-year-olds, 18-year-olds, and really try to provide guidance from that perspective and to really help people understand how to structure programming, how to do daily workouts as well, 
when they're in academy settings and, and camp settings because that's one of the biggest challenges is when you're practicing multiple times in a week, how do you fit everything in? What's the best way to structure a day or a week so that the athletes get what they need? Court time, hitting time, fitness time, recovery time. It's really, really important for every athlete. Uh, we do the same for older adults, adult league players, college players, and professional players. So depending on the level, the depth of how we go into that changes. That level one, the TPT program, goes into it at a coach's level, and it's not in that much depth. As you go through and you go to the level two program, the CTPS program, we go into significantly more depth with program design and sample programs and things of that nature. Fantastic. And with that said, we're going to take a small break, and we'll be right back with Dr. Kovacs after a few moments. Hold on one second. The thing is, everyone wants to save money on their car insurance. You asking if they want a free Geico quote's like asking if they want free oh, pie and chips. Of course they want free pie and chips. It's pie with chips for free. But pie and chips, uh, you can get them anywhere. Geico quotes made from scratch, just for you. Only at geico.com. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. The Adidas Barricade 6 provides superior cushioning, support, and stability. Maximum durability is backed by a six-month guarantee. The choice of ATP professional Andy Murray, the Barricade 6 is the perfect shoe for the competitive player who needs to play at the highest level. The Adidas Barricade 6, the ultimate hardcore shoe. Available at TennisWarehouse.com, the ultimate equipment website. Little Caesars, home of the $5 hot and ready pepperoni pizza, now has a deep, deep dish pizza with eight crispy caramelized corner slices and even more cheese and pepperoni. So head on down and grab a large for just eight bucks and tell them Alan Varner sent you. They won't know who that is, but as a voice actor, I'm always trying to get my name out there. Check me out at alandoesvoices.com. That's A-L-A-N doesvoices.com. But first, get the new deep, deep dish pizza. It's hot and ready every day from 4 to 8 p.m. for just 8 bucks, only at Little Caesars. Pizza, pizza. At participating locations plus tax. ShopTennisExpress.com for the world's largest selection of tennis shoes from your favorite brands. Nike, Adidas, Prince, K-Swiss, Babolat, Wilson, New Balance, Asics, and more. Hundreds of styles in stock and ready to ship. You name it, we got it. Get free shipping and free returns on orders over $75. ShopTennisExpress.com today. Hi, this is Ken DeHart, and you're listening to the Pro Tem Radio Network. All right, and we're back here on the Coach's Corner, presented by Protein International. Today we're talking to Dr. Mark Kovacs. Uh, Dr. Kovacs, uh, thanks for being on the show. And we have a couple of questions from some listeners. So, Brian, got those questions for us? All right, I have a question from Cameron Moore, and he wanted to know uh, what direction you think the game is going, the men's and women's, and do these changes affect the training programs for players? Sure, that, and that's a great question. Uh, I think it de- it's really determined by the technology that uh, is in the game. So court surfaces, strings, balls, rackets. Uh, that's really what determines how the game's played and the changes that we've seen over the last sort of decade. Uh, if we speed up the courts again and make the balls go through the air quicker like they used to 15 years ago, we're going to see a lot more serve volley come back in the game. So it comes down to the administrators of the tournaments at the ATP and WTA and the Grand Slams to determine sort of where they want the game to go. Uh, If we want the current format, which is very heavily focused on great baseline play, great you know lateral movement, being able to play phenomenal defense, 
then that's the way sort of the current structure is, and that's the way that we as coaches and trainers need to make sure that we develop our players. If over time that we see a shift that occurs that may, and more than likely it probably will at some point, that the game speeds up again, serve and volley is going to come back as a, as a potential game style, more, more successful game style. Uh, you know, maybe not always as easily on the second serve, but possibly on the first, there'll be a lot more potentially attacking play, shorter points. But being able to train the complete athlete and making sure that they're physically able to pretty much hit any shot in any position and be able to move and recover in any position is where all of us need to train our young juniors because we don't know where the game is going to be in 10 years. Anyone that takes a guess is guessing because they're not controlling the biggest variables, which are the technology pieces. So we need to make sure that we train our young athletes to have complete games that can do everything on the court that are able to hit all the shots, they don't have weaknesses, because if they are wanting to play at a high level, whether that's college tennis, professional tennis, they can't have major weaknesses. You see it exposed. There's certain players that we see have been really successful at juniors, they get exposed at the, at the college level. Same thing at the college level and that transition of the pros. So we as coaches need to understand that the future is very difficult to predict, but all of us need to make sure that we do our best to train the overall athlete in strokes, but also in the physical aspects. And that's my biggest concern. And uh, I am on calls all the time in the different organizations that I'm involved with, not only in tennis, but in other sports, in, in youth sport. And the same issues they see in baseball and soccer. In, in football, is a lot of these athletes aren't complete. They have limitations, they have muscle imbalances, they have weaknesses. And we're, if we're not focusing on those at a young age, they only get worse as the athletes get older. And then that's when these injuries occur, the surgeries occur. And a lot of these are highly preventable. And it's somewhat negligent if we're not doing a good job of, of making sure that we understand the problems and also understand how we as coaches or trainers or physical therapists or strength coaches can help these athletes at any age improve. And it's something that I think is, is very, very important for all of us to understand that we're really there to help the athletes improve. And if we're not improving ourselves from a knowledge perspective, then how can we really impart that to the athletes? Things that worked 10 or 15 years ago may not always work as well today as they did in the past because the changing environment. That's a great answer, Mark. Thanks for that. We're going to go to a question from Gustavo Sanchez. He's a local coach here as well. Uh, his question is, how much room is there to modify, customize, periodize programs for high-level players without compromising specificity? Yeah, that's a great question, and and I think it comes down to the environment of the individual's academy setting, etc. If you're working one-on-one -on -one with an athlete, it's very easy. Customization, personalizing to each athlete should be 100%. Um, there's, every athlete needs different things. However, in general, we know most tennis players are deficient at certain things. So you can have, and this is the way when I work with academies and help different groups is how I try to start them off is to have about a third, when you're talking physical training, about a third to a half of their program is probably the same for the entire group. But then there's two thirds or a half of the program that is individualized to each individual athlete. So every athlete needs to be able to be more explosive. Every athlete needs to, you know, get a little stronger. Every athlete needs to get a little more flexible. So there's certain things that every athlete needs to do. But then there are these individual components that certain athletes may have great endurance, so they don't need to do that much extra endurance, but they're very weak, so we need to do more strength-focused work. Other athletes may have a major imbalance between the strength in their left and right leg, so we need to maybe bring up one leg over the other. That doesn't mean every person in that academy setting or in that club setting needs that same exercise. So you need to have that ability to have general workouts and general exercises for the entire group from a logistics standpoint, but then you also need time to give each athlete what they need. If every athlete is doing the exact same workout, then you're only working to the lowest common denominator. And that's the biggest problem with group training in general. 
we need to make sure that each individual athlete gets what they need and that we're not doing things that may be not not beneficial for them either. So certain athletes may respond great to, let's say, you know, squatting, for example. Doing some heavy squats is great if the athlete has great technique, good form, good flexibility. If an athlete doesn't have those three things, squatting may put them in a compromising position. So we may not do that with certain athletes. But you have to understand that. It's not saying that squatting is a good or a bad exercise. It's a great exercise. It's one of the best things you can do for lower body strength and stability. But it may not be appropriate for every athlete at every stage of their development. Amen to that. You know, it's it's weird that you say that. I have we have a lot of <clears throat> our players that play high school tennis, and they they're one of their their requirements in uh, in PE and physical education is strength and conditioning course. And I feel sometimes when they come to me and say, "Well, I was squatting, a, you know, a girl in freshman, I was squatting this many pounds, and but she has a back issue and a hip issue," and and I'm going, "I don't know if you should be doing that. Should we talk to somebody about that first because she comes to practice and is walking slow or is." sore or we don't know if it's throwing it off. And uh, I feel like some of these uh, physical education coaches would probably go take a level one course with you because uh, they need that to know what level these athletes are at, especially maybe the non-athletes that they're out there taking physical education in high school. Yeah, um, no, exactly. Get, I mean, it's... Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say, do you get a lot of... Uh, any coaches that are not, that are just physical education coaches that, that take the certification as well? Yeah, well, no, we have a, a number of individuals that take it that only maybe work with one or two tennis players, but they're interested in understanding uh, the field, interesting to see how tennis does things. So we have individuals that work in, in high schools, in middle schools that have taken it, that they may be also the tennis coach, but they don't really know the sport very well. So there's some link to tennis usually, but some of the time it's very minor. It's maybe two or three or four hours a week is all they spend in tennis. But that's not the majority of people that go through the program, but it is definitely um, you know, available for, for those type of individuals. And there's a lot of great information that is, is useful that crosses over into other sports as well. And we also pull a lot of our information from other sports. So although everything we do is focused on tennis, a lot of the research has come about from baseball or, or from soccer or from some other sports that can be very useful for tennis athletes as well. That is fantastic. Well, I'm telling you, you opened up a can of worms with me as a, as a high-performance coach. Uh, my mind is raising a 1,000 miles an hour. I know we're short on time, but a few a few closing questions here. Um, what do you think is the most under-trained physical aspect of tennis? There's a couple. One is flexibility and stability. They're the two areas that, unfortunately, really don't get spent enough time on, and that's where we see the major concerns uh, occur. So, you know, that's one of the things. There's very few, if we're talking young athletes now, that have good stability, meaning that they can do a lot of single leg work and be stable and hold their body position in sort of these difficult positions that we would see them on court. So it's not heavy resistance. It's actually very light resistance, body weight only most of the time. And it's their ability to hold their body in these sort of positions that we need them in on court. That's one. The second is flexibility. If they don't have the range to get down, let's say for a wide stretching forehand, like we see Djokovic and Nadal and all these guys do on a regular basis, then it doesn't matter how strong they are because they're not strong in the right ranges. So if they're only strong in the weight room and they can't get in these positions on court, then we're developing weight room athletes. We're not developing tennis athletes. We need to understand that difference. So those would be the two immediate things from a physical standpoint is flexibility and, and stability. They're not as sexy as endurance, you know, how fit is someone or, you know, how strong is someone or how powerful is someone because those things, you know, can really only be trained on the back of flexibility and stability. Without having flexibility and stability, everything else is really you only have a ceiling. Your, your ceiling's quite limited. So we need to make sure that we focus on that every day in nearly everything we do, and then we make sure that the strength, the power, the speed, and the endurance is is, is progressed appropriately. Thank you. That's 
<clears throat> really good information. Um, just in closing real quick, regarding the certification, the level one certification for coaches like myself that need this kind of information, but we're busy and we're running our business and, and, and traveling sometimes, what is the, the time commitment and then how often throughout the year is there testing for the level one certification? Sure. So the way the level one and the level two program work actually is the examination and the study is self-study. So it's an online examination testing the competencies. So at level one, there's 14 competencies. At level two, there's 20. So the time frame, you're given 12 weeks from when you sign up. You're given the materials to, to study from. You're given 12 weeks of study time uh, before you can take the uh, when you can take the exam. If you need an extension, that can be arranged as well, but we recommend trying to get it done within 12 weeks. So that gives you time to work around everyone's busy schedule. What we're also doing, with, which has been a request from quite a number of individuals, is we're developing these um, study uh, sessions. They're really a workshop, a two-day workshop where people can get together. Uh, we're hosting them currently. We hosted one in Mexico uh, two weeks ago. We're hosting one in the UK. We're hosting one in Switzerland. We're going to host some in the US as well, uh, where it really is a way that people that maybe don't like to study on their own or a little unsure about the material, they have an avenue to go through in person and, and work with the tutor and actually learn the material, ask a lot of questions and, and really work with their peers as well. So that's something that we're adding to give another educational op option to people. So different people learn in different ways and we want to give as many options available to them as we can. Uh, so that would be you know, the, the two ways that are currently available. But it is an online program that allows people to study at their own pace, but we are offering some other opportunities around that for people that do want some face-to-face -face interaction. That is awesome. Well, I can tell you, um, I know Ryan's been, been going through the certification process and uh, he's excited to take the exam. And, and I think after this, talking to you in this interview, um, I'm, I'm going to definitely look into it. I think that's something that I want to learn more about, and a lot of my colleagues should definitely look, look into that, and I'm going to definitely uh, promote it in that aspect. This is so important. Yeah, can, can I also mention that we've got a um, tennis medicine conference that we're hosting uh, with the Society of Tennis Medicine and Science as well. That's July 19th and 20th in Atlanta, and that's two days of we have two tracks. We have a performance track that's focused for the tennis coach, the strength coach. We've got some nutrition, some sports psychology, some on-court footwork and movement sessions. Uh, and then we also have a sports medicine track that's really focused on the physical therapist, athletic trainer, medical doctor. So if you go on the ITPA website, www.itpa-tennis.org, you'll see all the information about that. And I just highly recommend anyone that is interested in tennis medicine and performance to try to attend or recommend if you do work with physical therapists, strength coaches, MDs, uh, to try to attend. It should be a great conference. We've got some phenomenal speakers from the chief medical officer for the USTA to the head of medical services for the US Open to the director of strength and conditioning at the University of Georgia to a, a ton of other great speakers that all work in tennis. And what are the dates again in July you said? Uh, that's July 19th and 20th. That's the qualifying weekend of the ATP event in Atlanta, the BB&T Open. So we also have some events that go alongside the tournament. So it's a great opportunity to come out and watch some great tennis and also participate in, in really the only tennis medicine and performance conference in the U.S. this year. That is fantastic information. Well, Dr. Kovacs, has been great great having you on the show. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us today. Uh, do you have any closing uh, thoughts for, for our listeners? No, I'm just you know excited to help individuals that work with tennis players to try to keep them healthy, uh, keep them performing better on, the, on their journey. Work, we work with coaches uh, tremendously uh, and lo love working with coaches. Contact me. Uh, they can reach me uh, through uh, the ITPA, that's one way, or they can uh, follow me on Twitter at mkovacsphd. Uh, but please you know, reach out, uh, do a great job continuing to work with the players, keep them healthy, focus on the right things, develop them, and really strive and really give them that ability to, to reach their full potential. Absolutely. 
again, thank you so much. It's been a great interview, a lot of very helpful information. And uh, you can reach Dr. Corvax at itpa-tennis.org. <clears throat> Don't forget the July 19th and 20th. Will that be on your website as well, that, uh, that program on your website? That, that is. That? Uh, there's a awesome. lot of great updates there. And you know, if, you, if you're having trouble finding any information, just email us. Uh, we have a staff that will respond and get back to you within a day. Fantastic. It's been a great day. For uh, Ryan Sawyer, for Dr. Kovacs, this is Alex Ramirez signing off saying have a good day. God bless, and we'll see you on the court. Everybody, everybody, that's all, folks.